0: Lord God, indeed, enable the Holy Spirit that's indwelling as in, in us to live in a way that is pleasing to you, that we become this pleasant aroma to draw the world to you. And Lord, if there are any hindrances in our lives that will make us not honorable to you. May we turn from those areas. May we turn from the sin that so ensnares us that limits our ability to honor you and to represent you. Lord, cause our hearts to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit pricking in our conscience and our mind. And may we align our hearts and will to that of your word, Lord. May we look more like your son each and every single day. And Lord, be with us now, this morning, as we look to your word. May we be moved by it, so that we can uh, live in a way that is most pleasing to you. Thank you for this time. In your son's name I pray. Amen. Please be seated. If you have your Bible, I'll invite you to open your copy of God's word to First Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 to 11. It's going to be the text for us this morning. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 to 11. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent and your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint, as each one has received a special gift. Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serve is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. In our, in our culture and really um, all over the world, people that work, especially in public office, they do these things because they wanna serve the community. If you talk to a police officer or a firefighter or an EMT or paramedic, when you to ask them what they do, what they are ultimately doing is serving those around them. A person that works as an EMT, they're serving the community by making sure that people are healthy when they are sick. The firefighters, they're serving the community, making sure that place doesn't get burned down. And, police officers serve in protecting those around them and we know that in every office whatever it may be there is all we understand that everyone is serving other people i looked up a presidential farewell address and president truman said this no president no president could ever hope to lead our country or sustain the burdens of this office save as the people helped with their support As I empty the drawer desk, we feel we have done our best in the public service. I hope and believe we have contributed to the welfare of this nation and to the peace of our world. We understand that that's a noble thing, to live your life in service of other people. But we also understand that as Christians, there is actually something greater, a greater service, and that is ultimately to the Lord. In the way that we live amongst ourselves as Christians, in the way that we serve one another, we serve something that is greater. We serve someone that is greater. That is mainly our God. Even though as noble as firefighters and police officers are, all of the things that they do have very temporal significance. They do something here, and it ends here. But as Christians, when we serve one another... When we serve the body of Christ, it has eternal significance. It has, com- has impacts that goes into eternity. In John chapter 13, verse 35, Jesus tells his disciples that this is how you know, this is how the world will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. In a lot of ways, this message here this morning is an extension of what we learned last week. Last week, we learned about how we need to be harmonious and sympathetic and brotherly and kind-hearted. And the message here today is to give us practical ways in which we can serve one another. Peter, writing this book, to Christians that are spread out all over Asia Minor, because of the faith in Jesus Christ, they are scattered and they have to start over. And when they find other believers, they are supposed to be with each other and serve one another. These Christians that are scattered, they're called aliens and sojourners. And in the way that they love one another, it speaks volumes about who Christ is. The world will see the church, this group of people that seems so awkward and strange. It draws people to Christ because they can see the love that they have for one another. We learned early on in this preaching project that I'm going through, how Peter begins by explaining how the, we as Christians have this hope in Jesus Christ because we know what the end goal is and where the Christians are going to be, that we have this hope that lasts into eternity and we go and tell others about this hope that we have and because we know about this hope that we should live a different life. We've, Peter says that we need to be obedient children That means that we emulate Christ and that we will look like our Heavenly Father who is holy, and therefore we need to be holy as well. And then in chapter 2, Peter talks about how we need to lay aside all deceit, all hypocrisy, all slander, and all envy as a way to demonstrate the fact that we actually are different. And in doing so, we have a desire for God's Word, to know Christ even more through the Scriptures because we've tasted the kindness of the Lord. Then Peter goes on to talk about how as aliens and sojourners we, had to, we need to have an excellent behavior to the watching world so that when they persecute us, it's not because we were doing anything wrong, but because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Peter talks about how we need to submit to every human institution, the governments that, can, that are, are after believers, the government that is treating Christians unfairly. These we're still called to submit to them because it's the will of God. And then Peter talks about people that are servants need to submit to their masters. When we made that parallel about how the Christian life, we have bosses and people over us and we need to submit to them, even if they are unreasonable, even if they are unkind. We want to suffer, even if we're suffering unjustly, we keep entrusting ourselves to God and then he talks about the example that is found in Jesus Christ who although being reviled did not revile in return although he people were threatening him he uttered no threats in return but he kept entrusting himself to God who judges righteously and then chapter 3 begins by the home and how there are believing spouses with unbelieving spouses and how they can even win them without a word in the way that they conduct themselves and the fact that even though they are in their physical home with their spouse that they're still a sojourner, an alien and in doing so the possibility of winning their spouse to Christ increases and then this leads to the message that we heard last week about how we're supposed to treat each, each other or to be harmonious sympathetic brotherly kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. Now I know we didn't get through most uh, the rest of chapter 3, and just to summarize, the rest of chapter 3 talks about how we, if we are faithful to the Lord, if we're obedient to Him, that there could be opportunities for us to defend God's Word. Chapter 3, verse 15, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. So as you Live out your life before a watching world. People are going to want to know, why do you live the way that you do? And you can tell them about Jesus Christ. You can warn them of the wrath to come, which is why later on at the end of chapter 3, Peter makes this parallel about the time of Noah and how during the whole time when they were assembling the ark, it was all part of God's patience and kindness for the unbelievers and for the believers to go to Christ, just like how the people went to the ark, For safety, that salvation is in Christ alone, and the only way that we can go to, for deliverance of God's wrath, is only found in the Lord. Chapter four begins by again saying how we are supposed to live differently. That because we are His, because we belong to Him, not only do we proclaim God's word, but that we live holy lives. Chapter six, four, verse six says, "But for the gospel has for this purpose been preached." Even to those who are dead, that, the, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the Spirit according to the will of God. So this morning, I am going to try to answer the same question. Why does San Francisco need San Francisco Bible Church? It is to win people to Christ. But how do we do that? It is in the way that we serve one another. In the way that we care for each other, it shines a light onto the gospel because they see our lives and we look like Christ. And we hope in the way that we serve each other that people will come to saving faith. Again, okay, This is a lot of ways an extension of what we learned last week. And I know that as we think about service, what I hope for us this morning is to answer the questions about serving. How, what, how are we supposed to think about this? So I'm going to answer this question with questions, it's kind of like the game of Jeopardy when they answer questions with a question. I'm going to answer the question about serving with questions. So the first question is this, why should I serve? Why should I serve? Look at verse 7, so the end of all things is near. Believers are suffering at the time, and when Peter's writing this, that the end is near, he's not speaking strictly about the fact that you're about to die or that the persecution is about to end. Or rather this word end here is teleos. It's speaking of the end of all things, that there's a culmination, an accomplishment of God's redemptive plan. Peter's saying that we know that there is an end of humanity. We know that there's an end of the life here on earth because Christ is coming back. Christ is nearer today than he was yesterday. And some of the world, people there in the world, they don't like to know that the world is coming to an end. Because this world is all that they have. They look at the things of the world, they look at the pleasures that the world comes, that comes from the world, and they hate the idea that this is coming to an end. Before the Christian, what makes us have great hope and great news is knowing that Christ can return at any time, that this is just uh, we're just passing through here as sojourners and aliens. And that this is not our home. And when Christ returns, when he arrives, we finally get to go home. We must all live with this expectancy of Christ's return. Knowing that the end is near will keep us to live, allows us to to be motivated to live faithful lives with the life that Christ has given us. Until Christ returns, we're called to be faithful with the life that he's given us. And what a glorious day for us to no longer have to deal with our own sin or even the sins of other people because when Christ return, every sin will be done away with. And I know for some of you, you might be wondering, how is knowing that Christ's coming back good news? My life has just started. Some of you are just are high schools and you're graduating soon. You're thinking to yourself, I'm still so young. I've, there's so much life ahead of me. Or you're, you just graduate college and you're about to get your dream job. You, got, you finally got that offer and before you get a chance to really enjoy that job and, the, and all the things that the job brings, Christ returns. Or maybe you're at the end of your career. You're thinking, I could finally go to my retirement plan. I could finally rest. Or maybe for some of you, you're engaged and you're about to get married soon and you're thinking to yourself, oh, I guess, can, I, can Christ come back another time? Because I'm about to get married the world seems to be looking up for you. But as a Christian, you understand that your life truly begins, not in those milestones, but your life truly begins the moment you become a believer. The moment you become a Christian, that's when eternal life begins. And the return of Christ is soon. Notice it it's near. This is, again, a common answer to when, uh, when Christ is going to return. We know that it's soon or that it's near, This is what we call the doctrine of imminence. That means that Christ can return at any time. This is the next event in part of God's redemptive history, that Christ will rapture the church. He will fix everything that goes on in the world, and then we get to have be part of the new heavens and the new earth. Christ is coming soon. And this book the scriptures, especially when Paul was writing this, this was or Peter when writing this, this was two thousand years ago, and Christ has not returned yet. And that is a good thing. In fact it is a blessing. Because in Second Peter chapter three, verses eight, Peter writes this, but do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise as some count slowness. But is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish for all to come, but for all to come to repentance. Christ is not hasn't come back yet because He's He's waiting for those, He's giving opportunity for non-believers to come to saving faith. This doctrine teaches us to hold on and to wait, because Christ can return at any time. And this is just how it is living in this fallen world, that we're always moving towards that end. Again, unbelievers may think this answer is a cop out, but Second Peter reminds us that the reason why Christ hasn't returned yet is for the is Him showing grace and mercy to those that have not repented. So, why does the Scripture tell us? Why doesn't the Scripture tell us the exact day, and exact time, exact month? I know there are false teachers that think that way, but I think the reason why the doctrine of imminence is here is to keep us from acting and thinking in the extremes. Because if you know the exact day and time when Christ is returned, if the day is really close, you might just check out spiritually. Well, I don't want to do evangelism because Christ going to return this afternoon. Why does it even matter? Or if the time is too far away, you might think to yourself, well, it's thousands from years from now, so what's the point? All the things that I do won't, ha- won't, won't have that impact until then. And I think the doctrine of imminence keeps us from both apathy and discouragement. Not knowing when Christ's return forces us to continue to live faithfully in the moment. And again, it's also God's grace for non-believers to repent. And the doctrine shows us and teaches us that we need to remain faithful until Christ returns. Imminence allows you to continue to walk faithfully. Notice Peter says, therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. This is an important reason for what Peter said in, in the Christian life. It's, it's not to have it's, to have, it's to be sober-minded, to have self-control. This word sound judgment, sober-minded, is, is to be clear in your thinking. It's not to not be controlled by the global events or emotions. But rather, you're controlled by the Word of God. You need to have a biblical worldview when you think about life. You're not controlled by the substances or, or circumstance or your emotions. Rather, you're moved by the Word of God. You just have a biblical worldview to help you make sense of the world. That means you need to think of God. You need to think of the Word of God. You need to think of heavenly things, the things above. This is what it means to have the mind of Christ. Scripture gives you clarity in your thinking and sobriety in your spirits. And this leads to life of holiness and when you live a life of holiness, what is naturally going to happen is that you'll pray. Notice that Peter said, for the purpose of prayer, holiness gives us direct communion with God. Holiness causes us to want to pray and be with the Lord. That's why in Scripture tells us to pray without ceasing and, to, and at all times to be in prayer. Because if you're a holy individual you would want to be close with the lord you want to commune with him in prayer god wants us to go to him and pray we can't wait around and do nothing until christ's return but we need to think clearly and remember the task that we have we should show christ-like love to win the outsiders so why should i serve you should serve, knowing that Christ is returning soon. And when He returns, you want to be found faithful in His eyes. That you, given the time that you have here on earth, you don't know when Christ is going to return, but you want to be faithful. That you're doing what God has given you, so that you can honor Him. And hopefully, that as you're faithfully serving one another in the church, that you, as you don't let up or be discouraged about when Christ is going to return, but your focus is that knowing that Christ is going to return one day, I want to do my best with the short life that I have to give him all the glory. We know that Christ is returning soon, and until then, we have a task to do, and that is to continue to be faithful to the Lord in serving one another. Not only, uh, so why should I serve? We should serve because we know Christ is returning soon. The second question is, how should I serve? How should I serve? Look at verse 8. It says, above All keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sin. This word above all is is to say this is the most important. The highest priority in the church body is to be fervent in our love for one another. We need to show others the love that Christ has for us. We need to model our faith and our love after Christ. And why is that? It's because God is is our God, is a God of love what do you think our church is known for in our community? I hope, yes, it's good that we're doing different outreach events or different types of ministries, and we have a certain way of teaching and singing. All of these things are good, but I hope that this church is known by their love for the Lord and their love for one another, that this church is defined by our love, that our priority is to love. You need to assume that you need to work on this. I think some of us are probably nudging the person next to us like, no, that's you, you need to work on loving, be love, being loving, and they're nudging back, like, no, it's you, it's you. Now all of us, collectively, as a church body, we all need to work on being Christ-like in our love. When believers sin, and we need to love, and we need that love to cover sin. This word love here is a committed choice. It's like you're choosing to love someone. It is a love that acts, and it's a sincere act of love. So do you have this love for one another? And if you say, yes, I do, the question is, how are you showing that? How are you showing this love for another? It's not just feeling something, but it's actually going and doing something about this love. I heard of a pastor that on a Sunday morning, he went up to the pulpit, and all he said was, love one another. He became silent, and he walked off. And then the, crowd, the congregation was confused. They're like, well, what is this? And, uh, and then the following Sunday, he did the same thing. He walked up to the pulpit and said, love one another. And he paused. And eventually, one of the congregants stood up, walked across the room, and had a conversation with someone. You find out later that that conversation was that this person needed a job, and the person that walked over just happened to know that there was an opening, so he encouraged the person to, to apply. And then other people started catching on. They started going around and trying to meet other people's needs. That is true love. True love is just not having a feeling for other people. That's called a crush. But when you have a genuine love for someone, you care about them. You will try to meet their needs. Notice that here is a keep fervent. This is non-stop. It's just not serving when it's convenient or just for a little moment or for a season. You're constantly thinking about ways to serve those in the church. Think about the the love that Peter experienced from Christ. You know, Peter wrote this. He understands Christ's love because he, Christ was so fervent in his love towards him. Peter was someone that followed Jesus and said some dumb things and even made false promises that he couldn't keep. He said, I will not deny you. And yet he still denied Christ, but Christ's love for him never got less and less. It is because of that, I think that's why Jesus kept instructing him to love one another Jesus' love for Peter never deteriorated, and for us as well, our love for one another should not deteriorate. You know, this word fervent it means earnest. It means to this idea of using all the strength that you have to hold something up. It's like straining your muscles. It's holding something heavy. And you may be tired of holding someone's burden, but how do you press on? You look to Christ. You model your life and your love after Christ. Is pushing something beyond your limits as you're dependent on the Lord and looking to Christ as your as your example. Loving everyone that God has placed in your life. It means you love those that hurt you. You love those that are unlovable or hard and difficult to love. You love those who treat you unkindly, or you love those that are that have mistreated you in the past. You love the way that Christ loved before we even came to saving faith. Because we understand that we were all, at one point, enemies of God. But even then, God has given us blessings, even when, before we came to saving faith. What is the best way that, for you to show love? How can I serve and show love? Is that you cover sin. Notice that because love covers a multitude of sin, this cover is, for, is various kinds. This word, again, this word cover is not the idea of making excuses for their sin or to ignore sin. But rather, it's, it's not to take any personal offense. Notice it says, to one another. Pastor Roger preached through the one another series, and the word one another, every time it's used in the, in the New Testament, is speaking of believers. In the way that you show love to one another, it's to the body of Christ. Now we know that all sin is ultimately against, against the Lord, and, but yet sometimes we feel the effects of it. And if it's ultimately against the Lord, and it can hurt other people, we still need to cover that. It's where we cover this idea of never seeing something again. Uh, whenever people try to hide nuclear waste, what they would do is they put the nuclear waste in a container and then they'll bury it underground, deep underground, and put all this dirt on it so that no one can see it. That's one way of covering something. The other way of covering something is like what we do with our leftovers. You know, we put saran wrap over it and it's covered, but we can still see it. We can see straight through that covering. The love that God talks about here is the first kind, is that you bury it and you don't bring it up. So when someone fails and sins against you, you don't think to yourself, I knew it. (laughs) If a person has sinned against you, they ask for forgiveness, you cover it. You don't hold it against them. You never uncover the past. You never try to use it as leverage against them because love covers a multitude of sin. When you say things like he's always like this or she is never like this, you understand that these are all signs that you have not forgotten it and you have not forgiven it and you have not covered their sin with love. And all relationships will be destroyed. If people are unwilling to forgive each other. You need to think to yourself, if I am I being offended because this is actually against the Lord, or if it's against me. And again, if it is against the Lord, you can lovingly confront them. But if it's something personal, you need to learn to cover it with the love of Christ. It's, if this is offensive against the Lord, again, there's nothing wrong with confronting and lovingly confront them. But if it's a personal offense, you're willing to let those things go. This is how we model Christ-like love. When the world looks into the church, and when they see the way that sometimes we do rub each other the wrong way, but yet there's still a unity that they have in Christ That's amazing to the world because the world loves to cancel people. The the world loves to ghost other people. But the church is a place that even though we make offenses, even though we may sin against one another, we know Christ-like love, and we're willing to cover those sins because Christ has washed away all of our sin. Notice in verse 9, it said, be hospitable to one another. This word hospitable is similar to the word we get hospital. And if you've ever gone to a hospital... Uh, and especially if you go in an emergency room, they don't ask you, do you have any connections to the people that works there? They don't say, oh, I know you got a gunshot one, but do you know the chief chief, chief operating officer? If not, we can't let you in. No, generally speaking, hospitals will let people in. They have this desire to help them, to serve them. Hospitals don't ask you questions. They want to help you. They see your need. They try and meet those needs. And this is the same idea that Peter has here. To be hospitable means a love for strangers. This implies that there's people that come into the church who do not know you, but they know Christ, and it is your responsibility, and mine as well, to care for them. I know it's hard for us to understand hospitality because we have hotels and Airbnb's. We just direct, we even get an Uber for them to get it, find a place. But back then, it was vital to the gospel cause when Christians go from town to town. They have no idea what's around them or the city that they're going to. If they go to a certain spot that might be bad for them in terms of like harm, or it could be a place that is it will give stain to the gospel. I mean, back then hotels were meant for, were really just you just glorified brothels. If there's any Christian that they had to choose between either getting killed or or going to a place where prostitutes go to, they're stuck in between a rock and a hard place. But they find their haven. In the church. They find it and and the, 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 because of that the gospel can flourish. And Peter understands that this is what Christians are supposed to do for one another. It's not easy to show hospitality to strangers and that's what this word hospitality means it's a love for strangers. Peter wants the reader to be willing to extend that love to those that they may not know too well. That this means for us as a church that we should always be willing to serve anyone in the church. When there's someone that's in need, we're willing to meet those needs. You're willing to serve those that's outside your comfort zone. And you care for people in the church. And we need to, yes, of course, we need to love those people outside the church, but we need to love those outside our circles in the church as well. We should be willing to open our hearts to those that that you don't know. And this is speaking of people who are believers, and it's all believers. Any believers that come, you want to invite them into your home, knowing that you may not get anything in return, because you want to be a blessing to those people. This word here is to do it without complaint. The word is the same word that's used in Philippians chapter 2 to do all things without grumbling or complaining. In fact, Solomon talks about this in Proverbs 23, about being a a good host, that if you want to host someone, this is what you should not do. Proverbs 23, verses 6 to 8 it says, do not eat the bread of a selfish man or desire his delicacies, for as he thinks within himself, so he is. He says to you, eat and drink, but his heart is not with you. You will vomit up the morsel and you have eaten and waste your compliments. This is saying that if you want to be hospitable to people, you should not grumble in your own heart, like, come to my house, oh, I can't believe you're eating my food and drinking my drink, grumble, grumble, grumble. No, you should that's rotten hospitality. That's not true, and it's not generous. It doesn't mean that you have to take people out in lavish restaurants, but it does mean that you, if, when you're willing to host them, you're willing to sacrifice at your own expense, and you do it without a grumbling attitude. You don't ever want to hold it against someone because you volunteered yourself. You know, I, I, I know sometimes when, when people invite other people over, we sometimes people have this things like, oh, if you can you know, just give us some money for to offset the cost, that's fine, but you don't want to lord it over someone. You, know, you don't want to say, welcome to my house, and then you walk around with donation box, you shove them to their face, and then like, oh, here, sit down, and you just kind of bring in God and like, follow them with this box. Jesus is saying that when you want to host, when you want to show love to other people, you should do it without complaints. Jesus talks about how Christians who are called to be holy, they're supposed to do it the way Christ does it. Christ served without, without getting anything in return. And when you entertain strangers, this is one way you can demonstrate how Christ served other people. How should we serve? It should be filled with love and without complaints. And the church is a wonderful place for that because this church here in particular, you're really good at, at being kind to strangers. Especially those that are visiting and coming to town, and they're asking, is there anyone that can take me out to lunch? I know the people here, you guys are really good at that. It's a a very loving gesture. And the world wants things like this. They they see how we Christians are willing to love strangers in the church, and, and they see and they're captivated by the love that we're showing to one another because it looks like Jesus Christ. We bear one another's burden in love. It's not only in that love that will cause us to be forgiving of one another, but we also show hospitality to one another. So why should I serve? You want to serve because you know that the end is near, the crisis is returning soon. And how should I serve? You want to serve with love and without complaint. Which leads to our last question, where can I serve? I know some of you now are thinking, oh, where can I be part of this? I want to be part of this church. I want to serve. And what, where can I go to serve? Which is our last question, where can I serve? Look at verse 10. It says here, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Every Christian has a spiritual gift. And I wanted to find spiritual gifts in this way. A spiritual gift is any gift that is empowered by the Holy Spirit to build up the body of Christ. A spiritual gift is any gift that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and used to build up the body of Christ. This word gifted, I think the world when we think of gifted, they think they're exceptionally talented or it just seems to come so natural for them or they're really good at something. And that is true, but the word gifted implies something that they didn't even earn. It just comes naturally for them. It's given to them. And as Christians, we understand that we are given certain gifts to serve the body. The word gift is Charisma, which stems from the word charis, which means grace. It means grace. The same grace that you receive for salvation, you're given the same grace gift in serving the body of Christ. Our gift in salvation is sourced from the Lord, and he gives us the ability to build up the body of Christ. We need to be good stewards of the grace that God has given us. You know, sometimes people think Christianity is like, almost like a spectator sport. You come to church, and you just watch other people. You're almost like the commentary guy. You're like commenting, oh, the usher did a good job and leading someone to the front row. Good job. Front row people, yeah, they did a good job. You know, but, or the, you, you look at the singing and you think about everything. You're just, you're just a critic. You know, that's, that's someone that, is, that views Christianity as some sort of spectator sports. But you know, you're not supposed to be just watching the game. You're part of the game. And I know which uh, we'll serve and everything we'll do is, will be an act of worship to the Lord. But particularly on Sunday, we should be doing all things for the Lord. Whether you're singing or ushering or greeting or praying or giving or teaching or cleaning or cooking. Whatever you do, you do it as an act of worship to God. All that we do is for one another to serve the Lord. And really we're serving Him in that way. You don't come just to watch, but you're part of the team. Sometimes I think people also view the church or Christianity as a consumer sport. You think that you come to church like a hot dog eating contest. You just come just eat, nom, 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 nom. You just consume everything that this church has to offer, and that's it, and you go home. This is not a place for that. This is is a church that allows us to serve one another. You're not supposed to be like a Christian leech. You're not supposed to call yourself a Christian, and all you do is just take and take from other people. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 15, Solomon writes, the leech has two daughters, give and give, and there are three things that will not be satisfied, four that will not say enough. If you only come to just a spectator or just to consume things, these things are not Christ-like because Christ came to the world to serve. This is Mark chapter 10, verse 45, that Christ did not come to be served but to serve and be a ransom for many. If you come just to watch and to consume, you're not being Christ-like. Again, this is a warning for some of you. I'm not saying all of you, some of you. Some of you, if you have zero desire to serve the church, then I can't help but wonder, do you even have a desire and love for God? Because 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 says this, We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. If you don't have love for the brethren, that might mean that you have no love for the Lord. And that's why you live for yourself, because you're not living for God. Again, I'm not saying that you work your way into heaven, that you serve so you can get into the kingdom of God. But rather, because you're a kingdom citizen, because you're a sojourner and alien here, you're willing to serve those, the churches that are on earth right now. And for the rest of you uh, that are serving, you are part of the body you are an important and vital part of our body. Every member matters. No matter, no, no body part is, is loosely connected to the rest of the body. You know, our hand is not like those of the Adam family with a hand that runs around and does whatever it wants. That's not how the church is. There's no limb that just decides to come off and come back to the body and re- re- reattach itself. Our mindset should be that because we're all connected, that we're all serving one another. Some of you are like the hands, some of you are like the eyes, some of you are like the feet, some of you are like the ankles or the spinal cord or the nervous systems. Whatever it may be, we're all connected to one another. And we can't properly be a church that functions well if we're disconnected from one another. Some of you do need to serve. And I don't want some of you to be like the, the spiritual Eeyore, you know, you think to yourself, Oh, that person is the hand, and that person is the eyes, that person is the spine, and all I am is just the receding hairline. I'm just going to fall off into obscurity, and no one's even going to notice. No, if that's you, you need to put on the Rogaine of Repentance and get plugged back in. Plug yourself into the church. The Lord brought us here together, and we need to serve one another because we're all connected to one another. It says here, employ it in serving one another. It's, it's, you understand that this gift, you need to hire the gift to use it for other people. Be useful in the body. God gave it to you, so you should use it for the glory of God. It says, as a good steward. This is a word for house manager. And in, in all the parables that Jesus talked about, the manager, any type of steward, or it, it never goes well for them when they are unfaithful to the Lord. And if you are not a good steward with what God has given you, God is not pleased. And I will say that if you're not using the gift that God has given you, you're in sin. True believers want to use their gifts to glorify God. And you and I will have to give an account to the Lord, and I hope that all of us will be found faithful in the Lord. This is the question I always ask when I do the membership interviews. Like, how are you planning to serve the church? And it's always great. They always tell me like, things that they want to serve, and, and by God's grace, I actually see them serving this, in those areas. You're supposed to use a gift that God has given you why is Peter stressing this in this book? Is I think it's because the problem that he's facing is the same problem that we face here in the church. Is so that there are people that aren't serving in in the church it should be all hands on deck. All of us should be part of this, not just some of us. Because back then at that time there was no government assistance and even for some of the Christians at the time they've lost their family because of their faith and they're called to serve one another. The church is all that they have. And I know whenever there's a sermon on, on serving and, and, and why you need to serve, oftentimes the people that come afterwards are, are the ones that are convicted, are people that are doing multiple things in the church. Like, oh, I know I'm doing 10 things. I need to do 15 more things. Like, No, that's not. you're not the crowd I'm talking about. I'm talking about people that just think that the church is about them, so they don't do anything in the church. Some people are thinking, Pastor Ray, you don't even know. My mere presence is the gift. Me showing up is a gift to the church body. No, that's not how it works. Even for you, some of you visitors, I'm thankful that you're here and visiting, but when you go back to your home church, serve. Go all out and serve. And if you're not serving at your home church, you're visiting here, I hope that you repent. And when you go back and your pastor asks you, wow, you're serving a lot, what happened? You can say, that pastor in San Francisco told me to stop being a receding hairline. they will be like, what? And just <laughs> serve, do it for God's glory. God has given you a gift, so you should use it the question then is, how do I know my spiritual gift? How do I know what my gifts are? And that's where verse 11 comes in. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one serving by the strength which God supplies. Now, I love this verse because it gives two very broad categories in the way you can serve. One is through speaking. That is, anything that you use with your tongue, anything that requires you to speak, the use your words to build up the body of Christ. So that means for some of you, that's biblical counseling. Others of you, that's encouragement. Others of you, that's maybe evangelists. Or some of you are comforting other people. Some are teaching, some are singing, some are preaching, some are prayer. Anything that requires you to use words. That's one broad category. The things that you speak, that you speak in the utterances of God, mean the things that you say aligns what God wants. And the other category, broad category, is service. This is anything that you do physically. That's like stacking the chairs or setting up the tables or cleaning in in the church or cooking or driving people. All of these things that you do physically for someone else, that is service. And that's anything that you do physically. Now, the scripture has different types of lists from Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and Ephesians chapter 4, and this uh, section here as well. And if you look at all those lists, you can kind of narrow down both lists to either something that you say or something that you do each of these lists are not exhaustive they're just giving you examples that is one of the two categories all of us have different gifts and all of us can use our gifts in one of the two categories for the glory of god there must be a willingness and an ability now I do want to caution that just because you have a desire doesn't mean that you have the ability so example if you want to drive people to church, that's perfectly fine, but if you don't have a driver's license, if you don't ha- know how to drive, if you don't have a car, that's probably not for you for now. Doesn't mean you can't grow in that area, you get your driver's license, get a car, that you could drive people, but if you don't know how to drive you have no desire to learn how to drive, this is probably not the ministry you want to be a part of. Or, for example, singing. If you're tone deaf, if you can't hit a pitch, and I'm saying this because I'm in this category, okay, I'm like, oh man, these guys can sing, but if I, let's say if I start singing here and people start denying the faith and like leaving the church, clearly that's not building up the body of Christ and I should stop. In fact, if I start singing, all of you will be like, okay, I will serve. I will volunteer myself. Pastor Ray, you just get off, do your thing, get out of here. Or at least the worship side. But you understand, right? If you have a desire, the Lord will give you the ability to do it as well. And if a person doesn't have the ability but they are willing, sometimes that Gift is the willingness itself. I'm thinking about things like mercy. You know, you see someone and you and you feel for them. That gift is the desire. You you have this compassion for those that are in need, and you're willing to meet those needs. Whether that means you cook for them or do something tangible for them, or you you know, write them a card, or you just go and you pray for them, or you say something to them that, that can build them up. That's like a desire that is from the heart. That that desire that you have is the gift itself. Or giving. You, you, you love the Lord has given you resources. You see a ministry that's in need and you're willing to give. Or you know that there's a, someone in the church that is struggling financially and you're willing to give to them. That, that desire that you have is a gift in and of itself. And we want to minister to one another as if Christ is here. You want to pray for those opportunities and seek godly counsel. Sometimes we can point people to Christ that are serving in that same area. Ask around. When you're plugged into the church, if you want to be part of A.V., talk to the people on the A.V. side. If you're, if you're um, doing evangelism, talking, if you have a desire for evangelism, talk to people that are in evangelism. If you want to do ushering, talk to those that are serving those ways. Get plugged in. And, and the very base level, baseline level in which you can serve the church is to build godly relationships. You build godly, godly relationships with one another so you know each other's needs and you try your best to meet those needs. Notice in verse 11 that both speaking and serving comes from the Lord. The ability comes from the Lord. I noticed that when you buy toys for children, the thing that's the worst is when like you, it requires batteries but it doesn't give you batteries. And that's frustrating because they give you the toy itself but, but without the ability to play with that toy. And in the same way, when we think about our spiritual gifts, God doesn't just give you the spiritual gift without the ability to do it. God is our power source. John chapter 15, verse 5, tells us that Christ is the vine and we are the branches, and without the Lord, we can do nothing. God will give you the ability to use your gifts well. Now, I do want to address when it comes to serving. I think some of us struggle with burnout. And, now, and again, I understand that there's nothing wrong with resting. You know, <clears throat> if you're, like, let's say, singing all the time, your vocal cords are dying and you need to rest, that's perfectly fine. Uh, sometimes you do need physical rest, and that's where it's okay to take some time off, or even spiritual rest, that you, you, know, you stop serving and the children for a while and go to Sunday school so you can be fed God's Word, so you go back and serve again. Those things are fine. It's, it's okay to have the time to stop to recharge. But I think sometimes the reason why people have burnout is because they're too reliant on, their, on themselves. They trust in their giftedness. They trust in their talents. And instead of trusting the Lord, they get burned out because they're always dependent on their own strength. And if that's you, if you're struggling with burnout because you're too reliant on your own self, then you need to repent of that. And how does that look like? How do you rely on the Lord? Well, before you serve, pray and ask the Lord for strength. And afterwards, thank the Lord for sustaining you through that. And in doing so, you're entrusting yourself to the Lord and you're relying on him as opposed to relying on your own abilities. Sometimes people burn out because they have wrong expectations. let say if you're teaching kids and you think to yourself, I am such a good teacher and I have a timeline for them. I have these metrics and ways in which I can cause them to know God's word. By the end of this month, they're all gonna be like little Jonathan Edwards and we're gonna have the third grade awakening right here next week and then next week the kids don't show up and then you get frustrated. It's because you have wrong expectations. You're thinking to yourself, I want things to happen a certain way, and when it doesn't happen, you get frustrated. But you have to remember that God is the one that causes the growth. And the person that you're serving, is not your own ego, your own expectations, but you're serving an audience of one, and that is God. When, you're, and when you have wrong expectations, you need to repent of that. And sometimes people just serve, and they get burned up because they just come in with the wrong attitude. He goes, ah, oh, there's no one else can do it except for me, so I guess I'll do it. Or when you think about giving, it says, be a joyful giver. Like, I guess I have to give to the church. Everyone here is broke. I'm the only one that has a job. Okay, I guess I'll have to give. No, if that's you, God doesn't care about that. God cares about what's going on in your hearts in the way that you give or in the way that you serve. God doesn't care about those things. And if that is you, then you have a wrong attitude. You need to repent of that wrong attitude so that either... You just need to step away altogether because God is not pleased with that, or you need to repent and then go back into serving the church. So why do we serve? Look at the end of verse 11. It says, So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And this is the reason why we serve, It's to make God known. In, in one of, in one, to, to one another, we show Christ likeness in the way that we serve each other, but we also show Christ's likeness in the way the world watches us. And when they see the love that we have for one another, when they see how we're willing to sacrifice for one another, it gives them a taste of who Jesus Christ is. And that, and that desire is that God will be made known. That's what it means like why, why God get all the glory, that people would see God. They see, they see that God matters here, that there's a waitingness to Him, and it's evident in the way that we worship Him by the things that we do for Him. To the watching world, we show them different ways in which Christ can be here. When we see us constantly joyfully serving the coffee or cleaning the church, that joyful attitude speaks volumes about Jesus Christ. And Jesus wants his name to be known, and one of the best ways that you can make him known to a watching world as sojourners and aliens is to serve one another. So why, uh, so, so when we think about serving, when we think about Uh, Why should I serve? We should serve because the Lord is returning soon. How should we serve? Is that we should serve with a fervent heart and without grumbling or complaining. And where can we serve? You can serve wherever the Lord has placed you and whatever gift that God has given you. There's always an opportunity to be part of the church body. And I hope that for all of us, as we're serving one another, it's not because of our own reputation, it's not because we're trying to gain some sort of status here in the church but that we want to serve because we want God's name to be made known. And I trust that if you're faithful to the Lord in this area, that the non-believers are watching us, that they want to be part of our church, not just to attend, but be part of our family because they see the love that we have in the Lord and the love that we have for one another. And hopefully that will make them see the love that Christ has for them. May God receive all the glory. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Father God, thank you for your word again. Thank, help us in this area where we serve, that we do it with a joyful heart, with the right attitude, and that you receive all the glory. Lord, it is not about our, our own talents, not about our own reputation. It's always about you, Lord. And I pray for the believers here that are just so faithfully serving in this church, that you continue to give them strength, that they continue to rely on you and to do all things for your glory. And I pray for some of us here that may not be serving as they should. May you convict their heart. Allow them to see um, where they uh, can serve so that they can be plugged into the body of Christ. Thank you for the opportunity for us to hear your word preached. In your son's name I pray. Amen.